today on the Customer X Therapy podcast, we are joined by James Lustenotter, and he is with PlanView, and he's going to give us a quick intro of who he is, where he works, what he does, and then we're going to dive into uh, effective building and also leveraging of advocate relationships. So we're really excited to uh, talk with James today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. And as you mentioned, I'm James Lustenauter at PlanView. We're based in Austin, Texas, uh, but we have uh, offices all over the globe. And I've recently joined PlanView as part of an acquisition that was uh, done earlier this year in 2021. But um, what we do is we provide project management solutions, a suite of products really that can be used in a myriad of ways to conduct and manage projects. Um, we really consider it a, a way for enterprises to drive on strategy delivery at speed, whatever that mechanism needs to be. So work management, agile, Kanban, Gantt charts, you name it, we have a solution for it. Awesome. So your customers are busy people for sure. And and very much so. and James, you, you state in in your role in advocacy that you are um as your job, you're, you're responsible for the distribution and utilization of the customer voice within sales and within marketing programs. And really, in order to do that, you need to be able to build and leverage not only effective, but valuable advocate relationships. So let's start there. Um, how does one do that and, and do it successfully? What, what's What's your take on that? Yeah, I'm, and I'll, I'll start by saying there's really no one way of doing this, which kind of makes the role exciting. I think you as practitioners realize that too. Um, but the way that I've tried to position the program and as it relates to building the relationships is it's a very white glove or high touch style program. Uh, I try to meet with every advocate as they join the program. I meet with them one-on-one -on -one to get to know them on a personal level. Uh, I want to hear their version of the story and understand how they want to evangelize or support their use of plan view. Doing this, it certainly takes more time and it might not be the most scalable if you only have one person program and you have a couple thousand different advocates coming in, but I have found this to be the most effective. And it's incredibly important because not every advocate is comfortable being public, for example, but that doesn't mean that they can't be a good advocate in other ways. And you know, not every company will allow them to use their logo, but again, that shouldn't stop them from joining your program and, and lending their support where they can. If live presentations are not an option, what about a written case study, for example? If, if they cannot be public, there are all, always private avenues such as reference calls, advisory board meetings, analyst interviews, and even an anonymous online reviews. So the, the goal of this introduction call or recruitment call, if you will, is to identify as ways in which both they as the advocate and us as the vendor benefit from their time and support. And after those one-on-one -on -one calls, James, do, do you have, what is that deliverable back to your customers, to your advocates? What, what are you sharing with them? Do, do you give back to them? These are what I understand advocate activities you're willing to do or interested in. How do you kind of close the loop on that conversation? Because I think that's great having that one-to-one. -one. Um, mm -hmm. meaning, but how are you closing loops so they know what to keep an eye out for? Yeah, there's nothing so formal as a piece of content that's provided, though uh, oftentimes when we're working with larger companies, they may ask for a written description of the program so that they can roll that up to legal and Marcom on their end for approval. Um, sometimes that does occur and it's important to make 
have something ready to share that high level about what the program does and the various activities. And, and that way you can get official approval from the organization to participate. That's not always needed, but it's helpful to have something ready. Um, it really, it, it, it's kind of a come to an understanding type of situation at the end of the conversation where they understand that they've agreed to do these certain things. They have a, I make sure to answer any questions they have so that they have a full understanding of what that exactly means. When they say references, um, we mean this. When we say case studies, we mean that. And so by the end of it, they understand that they've agreed to do this and that they know who I am so that when I reach out to them as the advocacy manager, they know me from Adam, as they say. And uh, we're trying to make sure that any requests for their time come through my desk, not some rep that may or may not meet, know them or even their own rep, right? We're trying to save the account managers the the time so that they can focus on their main job and not focus on approving and scheduling reference calls uh, from requests from their peers. So this shared service desk is, it, again, it's related to that high touch white glove program where it's not just for sales, but for any kind of request for the, the customer voice and that we know who we're asking when and how often so that we don't, I mean, the number one goal is to avoid burnout from my perspective. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and and you mentioned to avoid the burnout of the customers. What about burnout for yourself? I mean, one-to-one calls and meetings with advocates is a lot. Do you narrow it down or are they nominated by account managers? I mean, you're obviously not talking to every single customer. Um, how, how does that mm-hmm. look? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you're never going to get 100% of your customers in the program. And if you do, congratulations, that, that'd that be a first. I think there's always going to be those that simply are not happy enough, or they're not ever going to be able to provide any kind of support. And there is a recruitment nomination process through the CSM team that I have established, and, and it found it to be very successful as well, where they know who they should be on the lookout for. Um, Obviously, they know who their their most supportive customers are. You need someone who's knowledgeable, but also friendly and outgoing. And it's not everybody is all those things. So that naturally cuts a, a group of uh, potential advocates out of the equation that never come across my desk. Um, but there are times when I meet with someone who at the end of the call, I realize might not be um, might not be the best member, if you will. I, I do try my best to try to find ways in which we can use their voice, but um, sometimes they've joined the program and we never go to them with a request at the end of the day, right? So I think that that naturally does happen, but all the more important to get to know these people and, and talk with them. Because if you didn't do that and it's just a name on a list that's been put forward, um, you're putting yourself and your company in an interesting situation. If you do, or someone down the line does ask for their support and say, oh, they're in the reference program, sure, go ahead. Um, it could result in a, a negative reference, for example. So that's another huge reason why meeting every single advocate individually and hearing their version of the story uh, is is super important. Not just looking at, uh, okay, they're green account. They've used the product for this long. They've been live for this long. They must be supportive and that could make a good reference. There's so much more that goes into it than just on the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it sounds like you've really created a succinct process, which isn't surprising given the nature of your company, which is all about project management. Were there any barriers that you've run into in creating this nomination process? And um, do you ever run into, you know, maybe a team who's a little bit protective of the customer and maybe doesn't necessarily want you to meet with them? And and how did you overcome any of those types of, of fears that this type of approach would be intrusive to a customer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
I'm at Planview. I'm very lucky in that we have a very strong, established customer success team, and they're they're very friendly people and knowledgeable people. So I haven't had any issues with them in terms of handing over the relationship, if you will, to a, a new desk such as this. If you position it in a general sense is I'm saving you guys time because you don't need to worry about doing the asking and scheduling. That'll be my job now. They, the CSMs especially are like, they're all for it. You know, it's like, oh, if I don't have to worry about random requests from sales all the time for uh, the use of this customer, that's a good thing. And the, the real pushback I've seen at multiple companies, not just PlanView, but others as well at previous lives is really from the account managers who have their, what I'll say, the Rolodex. And these are people who have been at the company for a long time. They've made great sales. They're, they're fantastic salespeople and they have their references that they like to go to for their future deals all the time. Um, it's, it's definitely a process to take ownership of those relationships from them. And it's, it's really, they need to learn to trust you that, that you're not going to burn out the reference, that you're not going to, um, handle that relationship poorly. So that takes time because trust needs to be built. And much like building advocate relationships, building internal relationships, it requires trust. So you need to conduct yourself professionally, um, The obviously. I've always positioned the program early on with these types of individuals is I'm not going to stand in your way if you ask Joe over there to take a reference, for example. Um, but if you do ask Joe or Mary or whoever for a reference, you should let me know. So that when somebody else asks for this key customer, and they typically are the biggest customers, the best customers are the ones that are held closely to the chest. So they're aware that the these customers are in demand. And so if you have positioned it, whereas you let me know when you've used your Rolodex so that I can play blocker for you with your peers as they want to use those people for reference calls. Uh, that way I can say, hey, we can't use so-and-so because we just use them for a reference. They they get that. And that's a great first step in building that trust <laughs> so that maybe a couple months down the line when you come to them and say, hey, I need to use Joe. It's been a while since I asked you. Is it OK? Have you asked them recently? Um, they're like, yeah, sure. I can help you broker that introduction or I'll, I'll make the ask, um, but I'll keep you in the loop. And so you've kind of wormed your way in there in the relationship slowly in this case. Right. So that's one approach I've seen used to good effect. Um, but it does take time and it's it's not an easy process. hundred percent. We hear that, hear that very often, but it's good, good to hear that you've uh, stuck with it for sure. Going back to those one-on-one -on -one calls that you have with advocates, how are you typically structuring those types of calls? Yeah, I do have a typical list of questions that I run through. Um, I don't make it known beforehand, though I do position the call with the CSM, the recruiters, and then the individuals is this is our opportunity to get to know each other. I'd love to learn more about you and your background with our solution uh, is, is a typical way of phrasing it. I also say I want to make myself available to answer any questions about the program so that you're fully aware of what it is. And keeping it at a high level like that initially is, is seems to be enough for them to take the call and take the 30 minutes. And then once we're in there, it really does kind of shape up like a case study interview. Uh, I let them know that I'm recording it, but we won't be producing any material from it. But, you, you know, you're asking them, what was life like before Plan B? What was it a dark and stormy night? And what did you need in order to do your job better? What were the reasons you selected Plan B? And through that, I kind of I understand who our competitors are, um, what their business requirements were. How was the implementation? And I get their insights there. It's like, oh, it turned out that it wasn't as good as we expected, but we got through it in the end, for example. Or, oh, it went great and we had no problems. Great. And so I make note of these little things and 
This helps later when we're looking to match the advocate with a prospect who's requesting things. So um, those are the data points. You, you got to understand what it is you're trying to get out of. And if you come from what is it that I'm asked for from sales in a reference, it's XYZ. Those are the things you should ask about in your recruitment call so that you get data points on XYZ. And it's, it's things that typically things you can't track in a Salesforce or a CRM is what you try to talk about in in the intro call. Because if you can track them and they are being tracked in Salesforce, it doesn't make sense for you to ask about them in the uh, intro call. So try to fill the gaps in your knowledge as a reference manager. Try to um, check the boxes, if you will, of things that are most in demand from you. And uh, you usually come out with a good advocate profile that will be useful for you five months down the line uh, when you're getting requests for those individuals. And I also ask them to talk about themselves, not just their use case. You know, what? tell me about you on a personal level. Uh, that really helps with the building the relationship so that you know more about them, not just how they're using their product. Uh, it helps you find commonalities. It's kind of like a first date, you know? You know, what are, what are your interests? What do you like? If you do a little background research on them in LinkedIn, you maybe understand where they went to college and you might know somebody who went to college there. You might've gone to that same university. Who knows um, if they're a veteran, that's really helpful to know where, where they're located. Certainly it can kind of help you break the ice. And um, you know, you wanna be personable and curious. I think these are two personality traits that are inherent in this line of work in customer marketing curiosity and being outgoing. So try to foster and build those personality traits in yourself if you don't have them naturally. Um, but I've found that those are things that, are, one thing that I really appreciate about this line of work is that um, if you're personable and curious, it it really comes to the forefront and helps you shine. And all the, you might ask yourself why I should worry about building these relationships. And I think that the answer is inherent in our job is you want them to answer your email. You want them to pick up your call and you want right. them to lend their support. If they feel that they're lending their support to the vendor, but also they're helping out James, it can only strengthen that relationship. And these are the type of people that you want in your advocacy program. You want people who are helpful, people that are willing to share. And you know, if, if someone is very knowledgeable about a product, but not helpful and willing to share, they're probably not going to agree to do these activities in the first place, right? So this is the type of program that I'm trying to build is one where, again, high touch, it takes a lot of time and, and effort, but it's it's one where they trust that their name isn't gonna, and phone number and email for that matter, isn't gonna appear on a list of references that the prospect can call when they're ready, right? That's the other type of transactional type of program that I've been trying to avoid. And, um, you know, there's certainly a spectrum in between what I'm describing and, and this transactional style. But um, yeah, if if the volume is such that you can your program can support this type of investment in these personal connections, I'd say go for it. And then we kind of talk about like as the demand for more reference calls, more content, we need more people in the program. As that grows, then you can just make a case for well, I need three more people underneath me to manage all this. If you want to grow this program, I need I need headcount. And they're going to say, well, why can't you automate? It's like, well, the reason we've been so successful these past few years is because it's this, we've been doing it this way. And in order to continue to be successful, we need more people to continue to doing it this way. So it's kind of a cheap way of uh, up-leveling and uh, yeah. making your your desk more strategic, right? No, definitely. And I want to I want to come back to that growing your team and, and your, your one piece of the relationship building. I mean, once your advocates, your customers realize you as a customer 
advocacy customer reference professional is is not there to sell them um and you really are truly looking to build that relationship i think that that goes um a long way and and your point about um learning a customer is from italy they visit their family in italy and maybe learn while they're there they love having red wine whatever it may be that that could be that follow-up surprise and delight that they've done three four references for you in the past quarter um whatever it may be that they've gone above and beyond and to send that kind of after the fact thank you gift um for for them doing so much for you and, and being such a great advocate um i think all of those data points and all those personal conversations um tracking that and, and keeping note of that can help with those uh those type of surprise and delight sends too absolutely great point and on the note of, you know, avoiding that sort of transactional type of relationship that I think a lot of people either get stuck on and there tend to be some, I guess, misconceptions really about what advocacy can be. How are you providing value to your clients in a way that goes beyond just receiving, you know, some type of kickback or a gift from participating in your program? Yeah, it's that's really hitting the nail on the head. It's the hardest part of the job, I'd say, um, is this balance. And you don't want to be quid pro quo fully. Um, you certainly you're skirting the line on bribery. You want these re, these references, these pieces of content, these testimonials, whatever you call them. You want them to be authentic, and you want the advocates to feel that they're they're getting something beyond just a bottle of wine every once in a while. So there's different ways you could do this. The obvious, most obvious is like, well, what can we provide as a vendor to them as a customer versus what can James provide Joe uh, for his his reference call? Um, you could provide services, added hours of support or professional services to them as a customer for, you could establish something where any active member uh, that that's been active for a full year will get this X amount of services uh, added onto their contract. Or you could be something, you know, if you take a call, you get an hour of consultancy services from from a team that may or may not exist within your organization. And you need to think about what makes sense for you and your company. But um, this I've heard from many account managers and CSMs as being way more valuable to them as a customer than a gift card or a holiday gift or something like that, a, a basket. Um, and that's something that I've been building into the Plan View program and I look forward to moving forward with. It's not something that I ever achieved at my other uh, program iterations at previous companies. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how it plays out and if it's as successful as I expect it to be. Uh, alternatively, and how I have done this and I will continue to do so, is talk about when you're joining the program and it, it's all related to how you position things. So I've tried to position the program as a way, an avenue or an opportunity to the advocates to be the thought leader amongst their peers. You know, one thing I say often is, let PlanView work hard, spin cycles to position you and your team's success with our product. Case studies, when they're written, they're all about the customer. And PlanView is mentioned very little. Uh, it's all about what they needed and what they did to be successful. And then, by the way, they use PlanView to do that. So if you think about that, it's a customer first. We hear that term all the time. Uh, if you truly embody that and the program does too, then the advocates feel that and see that and they're willing to join. They're willing to speak on stage because they're the they're the, the star of the show. Um, 
we just happen to be the ones who are providing them with that opportunity to be the star. And more and more as you talk with uh, C-level and VPs and, and higher level titles at bigger companies, those individuals, they want those opportunities. They, they get excited by them and they thrive in those opportunities. Um, they don't care so much as that their cases are closed on time, to be frank. Like if we're having conversations with our admins, they do care about things like that. But um, executive sponsors care more for opportunities to promote themselves and their company and their teams. So that's how I try to position the program. And we've we found success in that. It's uh, a soft benefit. It's certainly not a hard benefit. But if you combine the soft benefit with some of those hard benefits that we talked about, gifts and advisory services, for example, then uh, I think you'd have a winning combination. Definitely. And how are you bringing that to bear today? The allowing them, you know, opportunities with thought leadership. Do you have anything formalized around that? Yeah, we I've called it a speaker bureau. Um, this is maybe the select group of your program members that have agreed to be public uh, and that, you know, and can vouch for as great public speakers. So knowledgeable, calm uh, on stage, willing to be that and willing to do that. Again, not everybody is. And so if you have those that small roster, um, more specific roster, you can fulfill requests for marketing and, and field events and whomever the teams are when they're asking for that type of thing. These same individuals tend to be the, the ones that you put in front of analysts as well. Um, they tend to have that, that perspective that the analysts are looking for. Again, this is more high level conversations, um, in terms of titles within, within their organizations. And, um, you know, you need to, it, it comes when you're building a desk that manages more than just references. Again, I'm calling it an advocacy program internally. I'm not, I'm not calling it a reference program and I'm doing that on purpose because it is a shared desk for everybody. Um, for anybody who needs the customer voice to do their job, I want them to think to come to us and come to, to our team in customer marketing. Right. So um, that's a conscious decision and, and keeping advocacy in general terms. Right. So you need to think about who our advocates are and what they're willing to do and what they're good fit to do. Uh, and you'll be able to fulfill any type of request that comes your way. Um, we have recently had a customer event and we needed, we had 70 sessions and about 35 of those were customer sessions. And that was quite a lot, but uh, we were able to achieve that with our, our small team of uh, Brianne and I, uh, and we're both really proud of the results of that event. And it, if it wasn't for this type of approach of really getting to know and our advocates and, and being involved in every conversation as they built out their sessions, we wouldn't have had that same level of success. And um, the, those 35 customer relationships are all the, all the stronger for it. Uh, and when we need to lean on them again in a couple months, I'm, I'm really hopeful that their good experience at our event accelerate will, uh, will come to mind for them. I love all of that and, and love the, kind of thought leadership and elevating of your advocates that you're able to to give to them. I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier about um, kind of growing the teams and, and career path. I mean, customer marketing, customer ad advocacy, customer reference, it's either one, two person, three person teams at, at, at most and um, not too many higher than director level that we're seeing. Well, what advice um, would you give to a customer marketer who is looking to kind of up-level their program or, or they were previously told to really just 
strictly do case studies or gather um, survey responses. How would you, mm. what would you recommend to them to be more strategic and, and up-level their career? Yeah, this is, um, this is an interesting topic and it's something that I'm trying to do as well. And I, I think we all are, and it's exciting for this, this desk or this role in that it's still nation, it's still being built and it's still right. growing and pe people in organizations are still under trying to understand it. So the good news is that we have the powers on us to shape and, and mold this role as we achieve our goals. Um, the other thing that's in our favor is that customer advocacy is connected to so many very important parts of an organization. CSM support, sales, marketing, certainly product management. And this is all in our favor because I'd suggest that you absolutely deliver on those items that you're being asked to provide, whether those are case studies, NPS surveys, or just sales references, whatever those happen to be, certainly deliver on those. That's what, that's what your management needs. But then while you're doing that, look to provide additional value. Um, NPS, for example, gives you great data and insights that can be spliced and diced in different ways. So really dive into your output and try to gain as much value as you can out of that output and then distribute that back to your leadership, whether or not they ask for it, and the leaders of the other departments. And when they see that, oh, we asked them for case studies, but as a result, we're getting um, direct product feedback from our customers to the product management team, or we asked for NPSs, but uh, we expected an output of this and we ended up getting an output of this plus other things thanks to the, the customer advocacy's hard work, when they're seeing that you're providing that, they get a different view of what the potential is for your role and your desk to the organization. And if you're providing that to other teams outside of, we'll just say marketing, right? If you're working in the marketing team, but you're providing value to the CSM sales and product teams as well, you're getting the attention of other leaders and those departmental leaders, if they see that you're helping them achieve their goals, the value of the program to the org has become much bigger, broader, and more strategic. So by doing your job and going that maybe extra mile or, or marketing your marketing, <laughs> marketing yourself and your role, uh, that's how we can make this a more strategic role. And as I mentioned before, if we take this one-to-one -one approach uh, and prove that it's the right way of doing things, when the company naturally grows and becomes successful and has more demand for your services, they're going to see and understand why you're asking for a higher headcount underneath you as you build your team, because they, they see that this is the right way of doing things. So it, again, it takes time and we're all learning and growing uh, the role together as we do our jobs. So this is one way in which I see the power in our own hands to um, create a VP of customer advocacy, for example. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I, you say market your, market your marketing, I, I say sell yourself internally, um, is essentially what you're yeah. doing and in, in providing, working working smarter, not harder, but providing even data points and information that isn't even necessarily asked for, but is valuable and ties to those strategic initiatives, those strategic needs in other departments that right there in turn sells yourself internally. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You guys, I wish we were standing on stage right now because I would have loved to see you drop the mic in that moment. I mean, that was just such a great way of, of putting all of that into words. And I mean, I think this is just an area that <laughs> so many people who are in this field are 
as ambitious about this as you are. And I think you just really gave a really great roadmap into to how to put the those, you know, that drive and the ambition into action. Um, so thank you for sharing, sharing that advice. Um, really, really. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's almost a good thing that we divorced this from the CSM and account management roles, this advocacy role, because then it's not when they're being asked for an advocacy thing, it's not tied to uh, a specific product issue that they might be having or an open case that they might have just opened. They know that they talk to uh, Joanne over in CSM if they have a, an issue there. But when it comes to James, that 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 this is something wholly separate uh, and they're not interrelated. But if it's a CSM asking for it, they say, well, I don't feel too comfortable because, you know, I saw this case open, for example. And I've seen that time and time again. Um, and that just adds more weight to this whole conversation as to why we need a, a customer advocacy role or, or team. So, so you yeah. have, have what the customers want out of it. You have your kind of initiative and your ideas. How are you then piecing that back together and tying it to your, to your company's strategic goals, strategic needs? Yeah, I think, um, again, there's no magic answer. Every organization is different. And I'm sure as you're thinking about your program, uh, the listeners are thinking about their programs and and what their particular organization's strategic needs are. It's going to change and morph depending on what that matrix is. But um, I can speak from my own experience in that right now, our organization's needs are all about alignment across our portfolio of products. I did mention that I joined PlanView from an acquisition, and that was a double acquisition. Clarison and ChangePoint were both acquired by PlanView earlier in 2021. So it's a huge undertaking in the past couple of months to converge all of these products under one platform or one portfolio. And it's exciting. Uh, this consolidation that we're seeing across the project management market is, is not uh, exclusive to PlanView. We're seeing it with our competitors as well as um, products are being bought up. So what we're trying to do is because of this substantial growth, there's a lot of enablement activities going on right now. There's a lot of realignment on processes and best practices around things like the sales cycle and our product messaging and customer first mentality is, is something that most organizations will have. So that's a good thing as far as alignment to strategic goals go. But um, I see this as a great environment for a new customer advocacy program, which is what I've been asked to provide. And there's a lot of new products to sell suddenly and, and new reps that don't have familiarity with products that were just purchased. So the need for our services is going to be greater than ever. And we were there and I'm trying to position ourselves to help navigate uh, which customers are appropriate for which request. And so that again, very helpful for my fledgling program to take flight. And um, I'm doing this by supporting, uh, you know, we're being very specific as to who we recruit and what we're asking them to do when they join and what we ask about. As I mentioned, we're being very prescriptive on what data points we want to collect. And I'm also building a ton of enablement material process flows, guidelines, best practices around reference requests, for example, um, videos and written content, almost everything under the sun in order to help facilitate that learning for our field reps and strengthen the communication lines across multiple teams uh, like CSMs, sales, product and marketing. It, it's a huge initiative in our organization to strengthen those cross-departmental lines as um, more and more new people are coming on board. And uh, that's something that I'm doing my best to help facilitate. I know I said previously one last question, but would really love to get your take, James um, and Kaylee, if you have any other points kind of to to ask, but I would really love to get your your take on what what advice would you give to a young professional either starting out in customer marketing or thinking about moving into a customer marketing role? What advice would you would you give to 
your past self, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mentioned it before. Be curious. I think that I've learned that this is a great job for me as a person through my work in this for the past six, seven, eight years now. Um, I maybe didn't understand the role fully when I was offered the position of uh, my first time back then, but um, through doing it, I realized that it's a great fit for me for a couple of different reasons. And my natural curiosity is one of them. You're very much uh, a, almost like a news reporter going in and interviewing the customer and understanding their story, but then translating it to how you want to position your company in the marketplace. And that, that creative process and translation is really exciting for me. And it, it checks a lot of my boxes as far as like learning something new, meeting new people, um, and then writing pieces of content. So those, and, or creating video content. And that's, that's something that I've always really enjoyed. Um, I don't have the, I don't know how you'd call it, but the, the, true blue creation of taking a white piece of paper and creating something out of it, like a piece of art. I can't do that. But if you give me a skeleton or a customer story in this case, I'd love taking that skeleton and then creating something from that. I do have that, that creative bug to that extent. So again, this is something I've, I've learned um, through doing the work. And if you're thinking about, well, do I want to get into this line of work? Know that there's, there's definitely a creation element, but there's also a very analytical element to this is it's almost working with sales operations and marketing operations so much you need to understand the technical aspects of a system like CRM system or a Marketo and how the data should be structured and and this helps influence how you structure your data within your program and the conversations you have with that team is, is really interesting to me too as I love puzzles and I love every everything needs a place and everything has a purpose so you just need to figure out how it all makes sense um, and, and that that speaks to my personality a lot in this job. So think about if you do enjoy categorization and analytical thinking, there is a way in which that uh, comes to play here. Um, the last thing is my my mom gave me a piece of advice when I, like I said, I started out in pre-sales, but I wasn't doing a good job in sales because I, I wasn't pushy enough. Um, she gave me a great piece of advice when I was feeling a little down. It was like, don't, don't give up, stick with it and, and know that your job in sales is very unique to a software company and that you're making relationships externally. And this is the same thing with customer marketing. I'm meeting and growing my network. I'm meeting and hearing from manufacturers. I'm meeting and hearing from financial services, from healthcare. I'm learning so much about their business just from nature of these conversations that I would not have if I was in uh, just plain sales operations, for example, right? I may, may, may or may not. But the strength of my business acumen has grown as a result of these kind of conversations, uh, I, I feel. And I think that, that if you're looking for this kind of job or if that gets you excited about work is the fact that you get to meet and, and hear different viewpoints and hear from different people, then this job is is right for you and you should embrace that. And and lastly, there's a competitive element to this in a big, big way. In marketing and sales in general, there always is. But I love customer marketing and being involved in these uh, reference calls because when the deals close and the bell rings, I feel like I've contributed to the success in the company. And I love beating, I, I, I love sports, so I love beating my com my competition in any any sense of the word. And, and that really does... Um, tick a box as far as I'm concerned and in, in what what I like about this role. So if you have a competitive nature, uh, there's definitely a way in which that comes to light in customer marketing. But I, honestly, I'd love to know how much of that ramble resonates with you, uh, Dana and Kaylee, because um, I love that. I, I'm curious to see if it's just me or if, if it really is truly everybody in this community feels the same way. 
the the competitive piece that's the first i've heard it but it makes sense and i feel it i I mean we're competitive on a sales front but i never kind of looked at it on the reference aspect of it i don't know about you kaylee um yeah i mean i think just in general a lot of that sentiment is very much how i feel and i think that that's you know it's not really limited to customer marketing but really any customer facing team yes if you're a person who has curiosity, then, you know, don't just look at whatever your role is as, you know, going in and doing the same thing over and over again, Um, trying to infuse as much of the human element as possible, which can feel hard, especially today when everything's kind of over Zoom. Um, But just looking at every conversation as an opportunity to learn about that person and their world. I mean, I think it just makes us better, more well-rounded professionals at the end of the day, because you're just broadening your perspective constantly in a lot of ways that wouldn't be, you know, happening if you weren't just having conversations with folks outside of your own organization. Because I think when you're only focused on something, you know, that's insular to the organization, it kind of warps your thinking over time and you start to become biased and think that, oh, this is how every company does everything. Um, Mm -hmm. But that exposure to other people and roles and different organizations who have different focuses, I think it's, you know, really strengthens your ability to be a a marketer and which I think we're all doing that all the time, right? Marketing and selling ourselves and and our companies. So yeah, no, everything you just said really resonated with me. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, that, uh, that brings us to, to the end. Uh, I think that we definitely covered a lot of valuable content and insights from James talking a lot about his his effective building and also leveraging of those advocate relationships and it, it's um, like you mentioned different for every organization but you can take hopefully bits and pieces bits and pieces of what uh, James is doing and doing successfully and, and apply it on your own um, before we uh, close it out James where um, where can our listeners? find you and is there anything um coming up to keep on the radar for you that you want to share to uh to the audience uh where where can they best find you yeah i'd I'd invite them to reach out on linkedin and um then i'll provide my profile link so you can put it in the description of this episode um i think that's that's a, a great starting point and i'm always willing to hear from and share uh, with others. I think it's uh, every time I'm asked to like talk about what we do, I end up coming away with ideas from what how they're doing their thing. So even if I'm like being held up or asked to be the example, I, I still benefit from having those conversations with peers. So I, I welcome them across the board. If you want to uh, just talk shop, it's it's really exciting for me. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with Slap 5 in 2022 for these types of regional events, um, again, to to share and also learn from. Um, I also look forward to joining things like the Gainsight Customer Conference and and some of those other big players as uh, 2022 maybe comes back to a half virtual, half in-person format. But um, beyond that, I think that there's kind of a gap on LinkedIn groups that there's not many for this profession. So I kind of challenge you and, and, and the listeners for that matter, everybody to start to get a bit more involved and, and start to build this community as the 
the role is still new, we should look to build those connections as much as possible at this early stage so that we can position ourselves as thought leaders and share best practices like that, like we have done today and, and make the role bigger and better as a result. So Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. I like that.